Welcome to Prodigal Church, where we talk about gluttony next to giant M&Ms. Um, and this is a gummy bear. We're going to have a lot of fun today. There we go. Yeah, you're falling. Um, this morning, uh, because of our subject matter, uh, this sermon comes to you as a three-course meal. Uh, appetizer, dine-in, and take-home. Uh, first, the appetizer. Gluttony is everywhere. It's an international sport. There's an international federation of competitive eating, okay? Uh, and they're actually ranked. They rank the best eaters in the world. Here's a picture uh, of some of the, the greatest eaters in the world. Um, these are actually ranked champions, okay? These are the weapons of mass digestion. And uh, in 2017, Matt Stoney, one of these uh, pros, ate 255 peeps in five minutes, Okay. I think we have a picture of the peep eating contest here. Richard Lefevre ate one and a half gallons of chili beans in 10 minutes. Okay, by the end of the night, he was gassed. Um, <laughs> Eric Booker ate 49 glazed donuts in eight minutes. Eric Booker is a retired police officer, by the way. <laughs> I found that humorous. Um, then the mayonnaise eating competition. Oh! <laughs> The winner, Oleg, ate four bowls of mayo, which is equivalent to eight pounds. I'm trying to gross you out so that you're never hungry again, okay? That's my goal this morning. Uh, man finds a genie uh, bottle, and he, he's granted three wishes. First, he wishes for a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account. Poof, it's done. He checks the phone. He's got the passwords, and uh, it's there. Second wish, he goes, I wish for a Ferrari. Poof, Red Ferrari pulls up right next to him. And his third wish was to be irresistible to women. And the genie confirms his wish and turns him into a box of chocolates. <laughs> Last week, I had a member of our church come up to me after, we had, after the service, which we talked about pride. She came up to me and she said, I almost didn't come to church this morning because I thought you might be talking about gluttony. And then she said this morning, she said this last week, this morning, I ate ice cream for breakfast because I was afraid my kids would eat it before I had the chance. <laughs> I am almost 40 pounds heavier than when I, where I was when I was married. And it hurts to say that out loud. When someone asks me how I gained that much weight in 12 years, I say, I don't know. It just snacked up on me. Uh, I've never heard a sermon on gluttony ever. Never studied the subject, never read a book about it. I don't think I've ever felt conviction of the Holy Spirit in regards to gluttony, even though I, there's times I probably should have. Uh, this week, I was on vacation with family, and when you're on vacation, you eat everything. Am I the only one that thinks that when you go on vacation, it's like a license or a free pass to eat everything ever? When you're out of town, you go to town. And uh, while on vacation this week, uh, I'm also reading everything I can find on gluttony. And so it kind of took the fun out of being eating on vacation. Don't get me wrong. I still went to town on Sprinkles Cupcakes. I just felt a little bit bad afterwards. And this morning, I'm going to give you everything that I've read on gluttony, everything the Bible says about it and what theologians have said over the years. And then we'll just see where that leads us. Okay, you guys ready to dig in? Here we go. Here's the dine-in. Here's the main course. You want to turn to your notes, you, you could see uh, the painting by Bruegel, the elder of 16th century. This, uh, this of the Seven Deadly Sin series is called Gluttony. 
The animal that represents this deadly sin, want to take a guess at it? Pig. Suey. Uh, food. The Bible begins and ends with it. Uh, from the forbidden fruit in Eden to a sumptuous wedding banquet in the book of Revelation, we see food quite a bit through the scriptures. First uh, Corinthians 6 says this. Uh, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. That phrase, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, this is a Corinthian slogan. This is something that people say around the town of Corinth um, in first century. And it means that food is a necessity, but it's also a pleasure. And Paul speaks right into this. And in the medieval times, uh, the favorite passage of scripture that condemned the sin of gluttony was Romans 16. It says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. A close second, uh, the second favorite passage in the medieval uh, era was Philippians 3.19. It says this, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Their God is their stomach. People who live to fill their bellies. Paul's point is that the worldly live with their human appetites, longing to fill our stomachs with the next meal. But those whose citizenship is in heaven, it's not about attempting to quench our fleshly appetites that matters. No, no, it's honoring God. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the message, translate Philippians 3.19 this way. But easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belchers are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. The Bible actually says very little about gluttony. But there's a few verses in the Bible. There's, there's some in Proverbs as well. But not enough to make it one of the seven deadly sins, right? Uh, if we've never heard a sermon on it, it can't be that important. Gluttony has been, uh, may have been a bigger deal in the past, maybe with the early desert fathers a few generations after Jesus, or in the Middle Ages with Thomas Aquinas. But surely we have bigger sins in our culture that we need to deal with. Why was gluttony included in the seven deadly sins? Likely because they were first written by the desert fathers, right? People who, who left the towns and cities and townships to live in the desert. And gluttony was one of the things that they were tempted with. It was one of the things that consumed their thoughts. Though it's not a common sermon topic today, it was a hot topic throughout church history. Take the words of 19th century Russian Bishop Ignatius Brian Chanininov. <laughs> Wise temperance of the stomach is a door to all the virtues. Restrain the stomach and you will enter paradise. But if you please and pamper your stomach, you will hurl yourself over the precipice of bodily impurity into the fire of wrath and fury. You will coarsen and darken your mind, and in this way you will ruin your powers of attention and self-control, your sobriety and vigilance. According to Brian Chavosky, let's call him Iggy, okay? According to Iggy, if you can control your stomach, you can enter eternal life. And if not, you will literally eat your way into hell, okay? Seriously, who knew that our relationship with God was so simple? 
Eternal life was so easy. I don't know why weight loss programs don't use this, right? Follow us and you won't go to hell. Uh, but perhaps Iggy and these other Christians throughout the centuries were onto something. Did you know that Americans eat 815 billion calories per day? That's roughly 200 billion more than what's needed. Enough to feed 80 million people with the excess calories that we intake. A third of all Americans are overweight, 63 million people. We spend over $50 billion per year on dieting. It's more than education, training, employment, social services. 76% of pastors are either overweight or obese. How did that stat get in there? I didn't put that in there. Gluttony is defined as an inordinate desire to consume more than that is required. And the trouble with gluttony is that it reduces eating to an exercise in gratifying my own desires, my own pleasures, consuming whatever I think will make me full and satisfied. Rather than simply enjoying food, we're using it to give ourselves a needed fix. Food and pleasure are goods, not God's. Now, when we think of gluttony, we often think of people who are large, people who eat too much. And I just want to say this, that definition is too small. In gluttony, it is the excessiveness that is a sin. Excessive consumption as well as excessive attentiveness to food. Beginning with Gregory the Great, the, the Pope in the uh, 6th century, and on through Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, writers understood gluttony to have five main branches, okay? Uh, and they'll be on the screen. Eating too much, eating too soon, too avidly, too richly, or too daintily. Yeah, it's exactly what you think it is. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, too daintily. It wasn't merely wolfing down large quantities of food. Gluttony was also a matter of being overly concerned about food, fixated on food rather than the amount of food. Refinement can produce its own excess in the jerk who's a food expert, right? We've all ever had someone go up to you, a friend of yours, they've been on a diet, and they went all out for this diet. It's probably keto, right? Uh, and it seems like their whole life has revolved around it. And then they try to get you to do it. And you're like, dude, you should do it too. It's great. Like my life has changed. In general, they're saying, I want you to be as miserable as I am. The truth is, some who are physically overweight are not gluttons at all. There may be a ton of factors. It could be the medication they're taking. Uh, they could have metabolism issues or glandular problems. It could be something else. More surprising, an 80-pound anorexic may be a raging glutton. The skinny suffer from gluttony as much as the stout, for gluttony is first and foremost about excessive, excessiveness, excessive attentiveness to food. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing book called The Screwtape Letters. And it's a work of fiction, and he writes from the perspective of one demon, a senior demon, writing to other demons. And, uh, and in one of these demonic correspondence, Screwtape writes this, But what do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and palate to produce querulousness, impatience, uncharitableness, and self-concern? Glubos, Glubos is the name of another demon, has this old woman well in hand. She is a positive terror to hostesses and servants. 
She is always turning down what is offered her to say with a demure little sigh and smile, oh, please, please, all I want is a cup of tea. Weak, but not too weak. The teeniest, weeniest bit of really crisp toast. You see, because what she wants is smaller and less costly than what has been set before her, she never recognizes it as gluttony. Her determination to get what she wants, however troublesome it may be to others. What if gluttony isn't, first of all, about overeating or being overweight, about dieting or donuts? What if being fat is not sinful? What if most gluttons among us are not those who tip the scales, but the average Christian consumer? Can health food eaters and the gourmets be as gluttonous as the junk food junkies? See, people who already carry too much weight are already the target of relentless ridicule and castigation. Do they need to be burdened by the guilt of gluttony too, while skinny people get to walk away scot-free? Gluttony, like many other vices that we are studying, has been oversimplified and misunderstood. And it can be traced in our own world to the modern devotion to dieting, health foods, and drug taking. In a society which cookbooks outsell the Bible 10 to 1, Food indicting has become a god that rules the masses with an iron spatula. Compulsive dieting is every bit as much of an idol as compulsive eating. It is the god of thinness, and it is our national obsession. The Bible is the newest diet book, right? Its Bible is the newest diet book. Its altar is the bathroom scale. Its prayer is counting calories. Its, its goal is to be noticed. Its motivation is shame. Its idol is the perfect body. Its temptation is carbs and calories and chocolate. Its sin is weight gain. Its virtue is self-denial. Its miracle, liposuction. Its repentance, bulimia. Its reward, smaller sizes. Its temple, the gym. We've made a religion out of it. We didn't even notice. But we're quick to point out the people who are a little bit larger. Women are especially vulnerable to the gods of thinness because as society, we place value on being thin as a stick. In the woman's body, it's a nourishing body with a higher fat to muscle ratio than a man. Women gain weight easier and it's harder for them to take it off. Yet culture places them under the judgment of the gods of thinness. And the result is that many women hate their bodies. And this mindset is destructive. As a culture, there needs to be some rethinking about how, what, and why we eat. Uh, cable television. You know, one of, the, one of the most popular channels? Some of you are, are hooked on this too. Food Network. It's delicious. You're eating vicariously through this show. Healthy this. Sugar-free that. When does concern about good food become too much concern? Instead of being hungry for God, we've become hungry for just about everything else. We've become gluttons. Hungry people, but hungry for all the wrong things. Now, I like food. I like dessert. A lot. Chocolate and I get along. Um, actually, <laughs> confession... These are borrowed from Abigail's Candy Shop right next to Sierra Vista Theater. 
um, I borrowed them from the owner because I know him by name, because we're there so often. In my household, I'm convinced that my two-year-old daughter, Ivy, is a glutton. And I have video proof. Um, Look at what happens when I wouldn't let her have her fourth fruit snack before 7.45 a.m. Let's just watch that again real quick just to make sure you guys got what I got. Okay, check that out. Yeah. She wanted her fourth fruit snack for breakfast. Gluttonous little baby. But is that you on the inside? You can't do that in public. Ever had a server take away your dessert before you were done? And you're like, no! So what do we do about it? Is God really concerned about whether or not we have seconds? The countering virtue of gluttony is temperance or self-restraint or self-control. And there's one more reason that I want us to consider this vice honestly, and then we'll get our takeout. Ezekiel 16 says this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. This is, this is pretty radical. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know the story, right? They're known for doing all this bad, crazy stuff. And then God sends fire from heaven and consumes the city. And Lot, his wife, escape. And as she turns back to look back at the city, she herself is turned to stone. The sin of Sodom is not what you thought it was. Because Ezekiel says they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned about helping the poor and the needy. This is why they were destroyed. Harsh words for lack of concern for others. Have you ever been at a dinner, you didn't finish whatever was on your plate, and then you don't save it, you throw it away. And then some jerk at your table says something like, there are starving kids in Africa and you're just going to throw that away? I hate that guy. I hate that guy. But there are starving kids in Africa. Americans throw out 200,000 tons of edible food daily. 200,000 tons. One American consumes as much energy as 370 Ethiopians. It's why there are 100,000 where gluttons are more better, our more is better attitude causes us to go overboard. And it's why there are 100,000 alcohol deaths in America per year and obesity-related deaths are around 300,000. Eating doesn't get a free pass from scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. We too must filter what we eat and what we don't through the lens of love. Eating is a social act. How and what and why we eat should reflect what is appropriate given the needs of others in our family and in our community. If we are willing to flout justice, generosity, or even etiquette just to get our taste buds on that juicy, delicious morsel, we're running afoul on this guideline. 
if we're willing to deprive others to gratify our own desire for pleasure, this might be a symptom of gluttony. Is our own pleasure-seeking getting in the way of enjoying being together with others at the table? Food, or the, whatever the object of your excess is, is not the enemy of God. Your obsessive attitude towards it is. We must understand that delayed gratification is necessary to successful living. It, it's not always about right here, right now. I want it, so I'm going to get it. Uh, here's your take home. Two practical things for this week and hopefully beyond. Okay, we had the appetizer. We had the dine-in. Here, here's your take home. Number one, fasting. Jesus fasted. He intentionally experienced hunger without satisfying himself to remember that physical hunger is not the deepest of human needs. Fasting reminds us of our needs for God and our dependency on God. It reminds us of our own humanity. It heightens our sensitivity to God in a world that's numbing us to spiritual things. Fasting causes us to feel in our gut the hunger of our world. And don't confuse fasting with dieting. This is something lots of Christians do. Dieting is about my willpower over food. Fasting is about my relinquishment of power to God. Dieting is about human control. Fasting is about human submission. Dieting is about what I eat. Fasting is about who I am. Dieting is about losing weight. Fasting is becoming Christ-like. Dieting is about impressing people. Fasting is about serving people. Dieting is about shrinking my body. Fasting is about surrendering anxiety over food and turning God for life. If we suspect that eating for pleasure is an area of our lives that needs moral scrutiny, one of the ways we can discover if that's true or not is by giving it up for a season. Maybe it's one day a week. Maybe it's one meal a week. Maybe we start small. What, is, what perhaps is God asking you to refrain from? As Richard Foster remarks, fasting reveals the things that control us. Some of you may maybe never fasted before in your life. Um, I, I would encourage you this week as your take-home, fast a meal. Uh, John Wesley used to fast one whole day a week. He would eat lunch on Thursday, then skip dinner, and then Friday and breakfast and lunch, he wouldn't eat until Friday evening. He did this every week of his adult life. There is something about it that draws us nearer to God in our dependence on him, and we realize our dependence, and maybe even our addiction, to food. You may choose to go without some luxury so that you can live more simply, give more away. Jesus didn't stop, though, at fasting. He also practiced feasting. That's your second take-home. First is fasting, the second is feasting. Feasting was communal. Feasting was a celebration. It was relational. And you know that Jesus, he was accused of being a glutton? Almost all of his parables are, have food, He's over at people's houses all the time, eating. He, even one of the sacraments he gives us is a meal. Uh, all of his parables about the kingdoms are about banquets and, last, and suppers. Could you once or twice a month 
take someone to lunch or dinner for the sake of their pleasure, not yours. Feasting. Could you invite someone to their favorite restaurant and then pick up the tab just to bless them? Could you use your table at your house as an instrument of righteousness and blessing by inviting others into it and serving them rather than serving yourself? So that's the takeout. That's the takeout for gluttony. Fasting and feasting. Uh, The point of this message is this. Could we invite God into how we eat and what we eat and with whom we eat? Saying grace doesn't count. Could we really ask God and invite him into this aspect of our lives? Perhaps for the first time. I'm going to invite Noe and the band to begin playing, and I'll close with this as I remove these guys off the stage. In parts of Africa, at mealtime, the eldest child would be served and given the largest helping. That child had to eat slowly enough, however, that if a younger child who finished first was still hungry, that younger child would be served seconds off of the eldest child's plate. The eldest child seeking of the pleasure and fullness of eating was thus always disciplined by and responsive to the needs of others eating with him or her. Let's be responsive to the needs of others, not simply the cravings of our own bodies, but with fasting and with feasting. So God, we give you lordship over every aspect of our lives, our minds, our hearts, and our stomachs. God, Spirit of the living God, reveal to us the ways in which we too have become gluttons. God, forgive us for the ways in which we have sought satisfaction and fullness in food or other things. Draw us near to you, Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would refrain this week, that we would take a meal or to to be reminded of our dependence on you and to those in our world who are hungry. And God, we also pray that we would use the table, our own meals, to be a blessing to others, not just to ourselves. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, God, that you conquered sin.